Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks get their second loss of the season. They fall 44-34 to to the Buffalo Bills as they travel east. And here joining me to talk about the Seahawks' loss is managing editor of Field Goals, Mookie Alexander, as well as contributor and former managing editor, John Morgan. Mookie, I know it's your birthday. It's uh, I wish the Seahawks could have got you a win for your birthday, but instead they got you a Pete Carroll contract extension. Yeah, thanks. Uh, my birthday was actually Thursday, so they got me a, a Niners loss, oh. uh, you know, with, with Green Bay beating San Francisco. But that doesn't help much because <laughs> Seattle would want Green Bay to, to lose. So I'm not even sure that was an ideal gift. But this game, wow, it, it was way worse than I could have imagined. It, you know, eight years ago, Seattle's coming out party towards the end of, of Wilson's rookie season. They hung 50 on the Bills. Now, that's a not that wasn't a good Bills team. This appears to be a good one. But from scoring 50 in 2012 to almost giving up 50 today. That's a stark contrast in, in how much this defense has fallen off. I mean, that is one of the more humiliating performances I can recall out of this team uh, in terms of the defensive side of the ball. John, it's tough to really put a pinpoint on where the Seahawks lost this game. You could put it at the fact that the defense gave up 17 points to start this game. You could point to the fact that the Seahawks turned it over four times. Two of those were interceptions thrown by Russell Wilson, two fumbles. So where where do you put it at? The corner play. I mean, if you had to just narrow it down to one thing, I would say it's the corners. Uh, Flowers did not play all that worse than we've seen from him, but he's not a very good corner. And Dunbar had one of the worst days I can remember ever seeing from Seahawks corner. I mean, he was clearly hobbled. Uh, he hasn't looked good playing out of position. I thought he had some decent snaps playing his natural position, uh, but he's really looked terrible filling in for Griffin and uh, towards the, you know, as the game wore on, he was just moving in a way that looked like he shouldn't even been on the field. So I think that was, that was, if you had to blame it on one part of the the team uh, that just made it almost impossible for Seattle to win. You just cannot be that vulnerable on the outside. Well, and it seemed like, again, we see this play out from Pete Carroll and his defensive style this year is that they will allow all the short throws a lot like they did. That, that's how I think they got into this 17-point deficit to begin with. And, and part of that 17 was the, the Russell Wilson interception as he was thrown to the end zone. But uh, two touchdowns straight out of the gate and just allowing everything open in front of them so Josh Allen didn't have to hit any tight throws. And then the, the strange thing was we saw the Seahawks come out after the half and put a lot more pressure to, to make Josh Allen you know, try and hit tighter windows. And we saw that result in Allen taking sacks to start the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think the pass rush showed up pretty well. Uh, Allen is kind of sack prone, so he's going to have games like this. Um, Sometimes he's just going to panic in the pocket and get sacked. And so I don't think that we can necessarily say the pass rush is fixed. Um, Adams was kind of hobbling around towards the end of the game, so I don't know what his future is going to be like. Obviously, he's an exceptional pass rusher. As a safety, uh, didn't seem to help the secondary any, at least as far as coverage goes. But like you said, the the corners were playing so far back, and I'm not sure we can call them short passes when they're converting first. I mean, anything that converts the first is a perfectly long enough pass. Sure. And with them so far back that they're so desperate to take away the deep pass that they're going to allow, you know, one conversion after the other. I mean, that's just that's just suicidal defense. Mookie, if I would have told you that the Seahawks would finish the day with seven sacks, uh, would you have expected the Seahawks defense to also give up 44 points? 
Um, yeah, honestly, this <laughs> felt like when, if anybody remembers the, the 2008 year, and boy, was that a miserable year. They sacked JT O'Sullivan like eight times in, in the 49ers game, the first time they met, and they ended up losing anyway because O'Sullivan ripped apart their secondary. The, the, uh, the dreadful duo of Deion Grant and Brian Russell, and you had Kelly Jennings at the corners uh, spot with a very declined Marcus Trufant the other side. And I got to tell you, this 2020 Seahawks secondary is not demonstrably better than that 2008 unit. I mean, they're not showing it. They are grossly underperforming. Now, the injuries are an issue because Adams seemingly re-aggravated his groin problem again. Mm -hmm. Griffin was out, and even though Griffin has been up and down this year, he is clearly the team's best corner. Ugo Amadi, I don't know how, how big of an, uh, an absence it is that he's gone because, you know, DJ Reed, he, he left the game with an ankle injury too, but I don't want to put a whole lot of stock in, into the nickel corner position, but, you know, Buffalo did whatever they wanted. And Pete Carroll just had a quote in the, the post-game press conference that really irked me. Uh, he said they never expected Buffalo to just abandon the running game. Buffalo is one of the worst rushing teams in the league. I don't know why any any team would want to uh, you know establish the run against the Seahawks run defense because if there's one bright spot for this unit it's the run defense. It's pretty clear that they're a legitimately good group, but the reason why the run defense numbers are so impressive is a combination of two things. One, they are a good unit and then the other bit is it's much easier to throw on this team. I mean Josh Allen his numbers 31 for 38 415 yards and three touchdowns. If you're putting up those numbers while getting sacked seven times, that's pretty conclusive that the secondary is not doing its job. And for somebody as turnover prone as Josh Allen, I don't think Seattle came close to, to getting a turnover off of him. I think they might have had one instance where he almost fumbled the ball, but I yeah. don't see it credited as a fumble. I don't think there was a single pass that he threw that could have been intercepted. I mean, that was how easy a day that he had. And it, it's it's more annoying to me because this is a Bills team that a couple of weeks ago did not get into the end zone against the Jets. That winless New York Jets team. One of the reasons I think Allen was able to control the football so well is that I, they didn't put enough pressure onto him early. And so giving him a 17-point cushion, yeah, he doesn't have to take any risks at that point. And with the way that the Seahawks defense was playing, it, it just it, they made it so much easier on the Bills by playing so soft to start this game. And I think that, that quote that you bring up, Mookie, it shows that Pete Carroll was caught off guard in this game. He did not expect this Buffalo team to just come out and throw the ball. I, I'm looking at their first two drives. I don't think they ran it uh, apart from maybe one Zach Moss run uh, in those in those first two drives. Yep, and, and they, they just kept getting successful plays. And they were off, whether it was early downs they were having success or the third down conversions, Allen just had his pick of wide open receivers, whether it was Diggs downfield, whether it was Brown or Beasley underneath. And this has been a consistent issue, I noticed, with Ken Norton. He seems so terrified of mobile quarterbacks breaking contain and scrambling for, for big chunk plays that he is willing to just let everybody eat underneath or even an in intermediate routes. And that's not good enough. I mean, if, you know, the game plan against Garoppolo is brilliant because Garoppolo is not mobile when healthy and he was evidently injured and he's done for the season. But against Allen, against Murray, uh, even against Cam Newton, there's been a pretty consistent problem with as soon as they feel like there's a, a threat of a scrambling quarterback, they're, they're, they're caught, you know, betwixt and between, should we back off on the pass rush so that we avoid getting caught on scrambles or should we be aggressive and hope that our guys can cover in the secondary? And what normally happens is they just get picked apart both ways. And, and you know, today, at least Allen didn't have any big running plays, but he didn't need to. What's your take on this defense, John? Well, in 2020, you can't depend on the opponent to run. 
And I think going all the way back to Mora and the whole West Coast defense uh, idea, there was always this dependence on the on the opposing offense choosing to run and getting itself into bad down and distance through tackles for a loss. And they've always really loaded up, especially in base downs, to try to make sure that they can hit the run, that they can eventually put themselves into a good position through penalties, through stuffing the run. And in 2020, no team's going to do, I mean, some team may do that, some retrograde team may do that, but you can't be surprised if a team decides to just go right after your weakness. It's so easy to pass. Uh, So many teams are having success. I don't think we've ever seen passing across the board in the NFL, anything even remotely like this. And so if Pete Carroll is surprised that they just completely abandoned the run, then that's, that's on him because the teams are going to attack the weakness. And with Dunbar hobbling around out there, him not really knowing exactly where to be, very unfamiliar with the position, getting himself out of position, jumping the wrong way, never seeming to be able to be on top of his receiver. Uh, and of course, like Moogie pointed out, the, the corners are just bailing out. They're just getting the hell out of there. They seem to be so desperate to not get beat over the top. I know that's a real emphasis with Carroll to not allow those sort of long touchdowns to get behind the defense, but you just cannot allow a team to pick you apart with short passes or even medium length passes, which I think is more what happened today, right? Because teams will not figure they have to run. There's just not that emphasis anymore. The NFL has changed. I don't know if this will stick. Things tend to kind of go back and forth as far as strategy and tactics in the NFL. But right now in 2020, if you're waiting for the other team to beat themselves by running the ball, by going in against a good run defense when the pass defense is this week, you're just, it's just a faulty game plan. And uh, I think the long return kind of puts Seattle back on its heels because I, I do not think they expected to be able to be beat so quickly. Um, when you're when you're trying to win kind of through uh, like the law of big numbers or, you know, the idea that if you if you tackle them short and you force them to pass, that eventually they'll get a holding penalty. Eventually they'll get an incomplete pass. Uh, a short field is going to put you in a tough position because they only have to be on for a few plays before they're in the end zone. And after that, it just seemed like things unraveled pretty quickly. I, I don't know what the situation is with Dunbar. I mean, I don't think he was exactly benched. I think that was almost just like merciful taking him out but it's crazy to to just it was just crazy to watch him out there struggling so bad i mean i almost felt a kind of pity because i did not think that he necessarily could do better than he was doing and having that kind of liability on the field where someone seems to be incapable of doing almost anything they need to do and possibly the most important position on the defense your number one corner it just it just was a i mean it, it kind of spoke for itself i mean the pass rush was there Blitzing seemed to be reasonably effective and guys were running free all day and there wasn't tackles once a guy caught the pass and it was just a disgusting show by the secondary. It was, it lost in the game. I think as much as anything, I I would say they do. Uh, Even though there was certainly problems from Seattle's offense, I think the secondary lost the game. John, I think it's important that you brought up that opening kickoff because I think that uh, kind of the failure of special teams and the aggressiveness of Buffalo was kind of emblematic of this game. The Buffalo was willing to be so aggressive that they would take out the opening kickoff. And it seemed, you know, much like the the Bills passing on their first two drives caught the Seahawks off guard. And I think that had something to do with it. But, you know, as as tough as it was in this game and the Seahawks giving up 44 points, which is the most that Pete Carroll has given up as Seahawks head coach, There was a point in this game where it looked like the Seahawks were getting back into it 
And I want to talk about that coming up after the break. The Seahawks fall to six and two on Sunday, losing to the seven and two Buffalo Bills. There's a couple points I, I do still want to talk about in the, in the first quarter, but I want to move to the, the third quarter, Mookie, and talk about uh, a, a point where it looked like the Seahawks might get back in it because they, they do settle for a field goal, but then Buffalo gets the ball back and it's within 27-20. So one touchdown score. The Seahawks have fought their way back into the game. And on that drive, uh, there were there were moments that the Seahawks could have had. And, and really, right from the start, one of the things that kind of surprised me a little bit was that the defense has been so good to anticipate and diagnose screens. They get they get 20 yards. They get toward midfield on a Stefan Diggs 25 yard pass. But then they have the, they have some moments where, you know, a second and 15 penalty by Buffalo pushes them back. Buffalo's in a second 20 situation. They then then they pick up a, a third and nine because of a Jamal Adams illegal contact, which I guess you could say that was ticky tack. But as as mad as I was about that, they get him again into third and 16 and they give up a 33 yard pass to John Brown. Yeah, that essentially ended the game right there. Yeah. And apparently Carroll said it was his decision to call the all out blitz on the on the uh, fateful third and 16. And just why? I mean, I get that the blitzing was working, but that should have been in consideration for the entire drive. You already got burned on the first play of that drive with a screen pass to a running back. So if you're going to call an all-out blitz on third and 16, that is huge boomer bust. Now, I'm wondering how much of that was just trying to get a sack on Allen so that they would be taken out of field goal range because they were in field goal range at the time. But I would rather take 30 to 20 than risk them going deep into the end zone or into the red zone, rather, and then eventually getting the touchdown that they did. So you look at that play, not only was it an all-out blitz, but the last man back is Dunbar, who right. can barely walk, and let, let alone go on a full-on sprint. So they, they were fortunate they didn't give up a touchdown right there, but it just delayed the inevitable. And it really was a backbreaker. On a day when Seattle, the only times that they could get off the field were essentially drive-ending sacks by Allen, whom, again, I know we've noted the seven sacks that he took, but it didn't feel like Josh Allen was ever in a position or ever felt the need to, to throw up one of those YOLO throws that he's known for that 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 normally results in something calamitous for Buffalo but he just ate those sacks instead of doing something really stupid with the ball um but you, you look at the drive again and they were getting picked apart towards the end of the third quarter because there was a screen pass for Moss and then Stefan Diggs is wide open at the end of the third quarter so when the fourth quarter starts they're already in field goal range and then that whole sequence was just nasty and all day Seattle had some favorable down and distances defensively and they were still giving up big plays, like the second and 27, like two drives before that. I mean, that was atrocious, and Dunbar should have been pulled right there. You know, I, I don't have many more words for, for the Seahawks defense. It is indescribably bad, and I don't see the roots for this team uh, getting better defensively that don't involve a coaching change at this point. How can it be this bad with the personnel that they have, with having Bobby Wagner, having Jamal Adams, you know, bringing in Carlos Dunlap, who I, I think he showed some nice things here uh, in, in his first game in a Seahawks uniform. I, I feel like they have enough pieces that it shouldn't be that bad. It probably shouldn't be this yeah. bad. I mean, should any defense be this bad? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, any professional football team uh, in the NFL should I be mean, giving up 44 points is inexcusable. I think that. 
some of what we're seeing is that defenses often are determined by their weakest link. Um, you know, you can get pass rush, you can have good coverage from other positions, but if someone's busting coverage on almost every single snap, there's going to be someone open, um, you know, against a weaker quarterback or a quarterback that's really locked onto one read, you're going to have some level of success. Um, and so we've seen a little flashes of the defense looking okay. And it's certainly gotten a lot of boost from turnovers. But yeah, I mean, you you just can't cover this bad, and I think that in a lot of ways that's that that explains so much of it. Also, when it comes to the pass rush, the the big question is, and it's something that's basically impossible to figure out when you're just watching it in real time. But you have to figure out not just are they getting sacks, are they getting hits, but uh, how many players are they putting into the pass rush? How much is that potentially costing the coverage? And what is the down and distance? And so I, you know, the Seahawks got a ton of sacks. But I also noticed that in a lot of their four-man rushes, I did not see a ton of pressure. Right. I think that it's great having Dunlap. I think Dunlap is is clearly, I mean, I think he's arguably the best or one of the best players on this defense just because of the value of his position and uh, how desperately they need pass rush. But if you have Dunlap on one side and you have uh, Collier on the other side, then you're basically having a one-man pass rush again. I mean, Collier seems like he's a decent sub package player and he certainly improved a lot from last year but Dunlap is not a pure disruptive player he's kind of a he's he's sort of a big end himself and so that they had big ends on both sides I think led to a lot of anemic pass rush on base downs and a lot of sacks when they could just load up but then you know with Allen tossing for so many yards and really completing at such a high percentage with really no major chance of throwing an interception I don't think that you could say the pass rush was really that effective I think that it it uh, had some big splash plays. I don't think the sacks are to be ignored, but the passing game was not meaningfully affected by it. Well, especially when you go to the first half, uh, the Seahawks were sending blitzers and they, they weren't getting there. Whereas I think in the second half, they were able to, to fix that a little bit. But in the first half, I, I felt like even when they were rushing five, six guys, the Bills were finding ways to to keep Josh Allen upright. Yeah, they were. And even worse for Seattle is the fact that the Bills had three offensive linemen in, injured in this game. Now, I think one of them did come back, but th- that was not their full strength offensive line. And I think Dunlap, who was one of the few bright spots on this defense, I believe that was the only sack of the seven that came with a four man rush. Mm. And he just bullied their left tackle and he was able to get into the backfield. But yeah, the, the pass rush remains still a question mark. The blitzing worked better in the second half, but if they can't get home with four, we know that they, the secondary can't cover very long. And if they can't blitz properly, they're still getting burnt. I, I mean, I think to me, this game confirmed that the secondary is a much bigger issue than the pass rush because the secondary breakdowns, it's not just losing one-on-one matchups. It's coverage bus, straight-up coverage bus. It, it, apparently, the first touchdown to Isaiah McKenzie, that's Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs blowing the coverages right there. Mm. And you just can't have that with your two safeties who are supposed to be the top two players on the defense. And then Allen was just picking apart their zones. Um, Dunbar's given up acres of space, and he's obviously not healthy. So, you know, Seattle is fortunate that they have a stretch in December where they're playing Daniel Jones and one of Sam Darnold or Joe Flacco, presumably Alex Smith, because Kyle Allen had a terrible ankle break against the Giants. But even the Alex Smith who played well enough today, he could slice up the Seattle secondary. I mean, I- I'm hopeful that Griffin can come back next week, but... This is a real, real critical juncture for the Seahawks because they'll make the playoffs. It would take a monumental collapse for them to miss, especially if there's going to be 
the, the possibility of a 16 team playoff, let alone the 14 we have right now. Right. But the division is really hanging in the balance over these next two weeks because the Rams, who have a run heavy offense more often than not, we've seen them slice up Seattle secondary historically with Jared Goff just finding any open crosser on the, that he sees on the field. But if they lose the Rams and Cardinals game, they might effectively be in third place in the division. And that is a major, like, take us to DEFCON 3 sort of situation. You know, six and two feels great more seasons than not, but they've been really living on a knife edge. And what we saw today was a couple of things that we hadn't seen all season, which is the Seahawks playing from behind for a pretty long period of time because the Vikings game, they were behind the entire first half and then took the lead in like a five minute or two minute span. But they were down from the start and never really came close to, to, to tying the score. And then the second bit is, what is this defense like when they're not forcing turnovers? You know, turnovers are high variance. It's not necessarily sustainable. And you got your answer. Without turnovers, they're not really getting off the field consistently. And it just kills you. Yeah, well, and they just, they didn't have the ability to put enough pressure to 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 force Buffalo to try and turn the ball over in this game. So, yeah, I, and you covered that pretty well, that the fact that they just never even came close to to making Josh Allen try to make the kind of throw that would be, uh, you know, potential turnover. So defense definitely struggled on the day. I, I want to talk about one coaching decision early on that I, I am kind of curious about, John, where, where you come out on this. With the Seahawks in the first quarter, they got it down. They had a fourth and one. They could have kicked the field goal, taken the points and, and gotten to 14 and three. And the reason why it's a, a play that's willing to be discussed is on the very next play, Russell Wilson throws the interception you know, they end up take. you would actually hope that he'd throw it away because at least the Bills would then have the ball on, you know, the one or two yard line. But in that situation, is that too early to go for it on fourth and one? I don't, I don't think the situation necessarily dictated that they shouldn't go for it. Um, the field position is worth quite a bit. So I, I think that as long as Wilson doesn't then throw an interception, then you could justify going for it on fourth down. I would say that one thing that should probably factor into their decision making a little bit more is that they do not have a run game. And so when you're facing fourth and short, you're going to, you definitely want at least the threat of someone who can just pound it and get that, that tiny bit of yardage to convert the first or to score the touchdown. And defenses know that. Defenses can see how shy Seattle is about running the ball. Yeah, John, um, and, and to interrupt on that, I, the decision before the fourth and one, I think was probably the worst decision of the game running with Homer on third and two. Homer shouldn't be running. I I, I I hate to be so definitive, but I, I just don't see much of anything out of Homer that's particularly exciting. And DJ Dallas seems like he's essentially the same player with maybe the slightest ability to run between the tackles a little bit better. And so there's, they're very, very thin at running back, um, which is not a good situation, not a good situation. It seemed like they did everything in their power to just try to stack players at running back. But the, and unfortunately, they kind of stacked liabilities. Uh, Carson's had injury problems his entire, you know, going all the way back to college. Hyde was someone that you could certainly anticipate having injuries because he's had injuries in the past and he's 30. And of course, you know, with DJ Dallas and Homer, those are not backs that I, they seem to be able to run the offense they want to run with. And I, I personally never thought Rashad Penny was going to be back this year. Whenever you hear about a knee injury like that, and you know, you hear about additional damage to the knee, I think that you should give the player as much time as possible because they're essentially fighting for their career. Um, and so I'm a little I'm a little bothered that they did not seem to put enough emphasis in just having meaningful depth. They seem to simply have stacked liabilities. And the, I think the offense is a major concern, frankly. I, I know that that's probably not what people want to hear right now. 
But this is the third game and four games where the offense has been pretty weak uh, and has certainly contributed to the loss. And the other game is against San Francisco, which seems to be about as dead as a team is in the NFL, maybe other than the Cowboys. They don't seem to have the kind of depth that's going to step up for all the starters they've lost. Uh, they, they just do not seem to be playing the kind of football that is going to win against many teams. And so I think that Seattle's kind of crumbling on both sides of the ball. They really need to patch things together in a way that I don't know if they're capable. The trade deadline's behind us. They're not going to probably find a back unless Collins can really turn into some sort of three-down back. I'm not saying that there is uh, that this is disastrous, but I do feel like the Seahawks are trending in a way that is potentially endangering their not their chance to go to the playoffs. Like Mookie said, it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to miss the playoffs. But their chances of contention, and they've they've put a lot into this year. They've uh, they traded away, you know, draft picks for Adams, extremely valuable draft picks for Adams. They've now traded for Dunlap. You know, they're front loaded. This is this was meaningfully their best chance of contention in a long time with the schedule they had. And Russell Wilson, I think, at his peak, or at least what seems to be his peak. Um, and so it's it's pretty scary. I mean, teams can win without the best defense, but they need the kind of passing offense that can just run away and also can come back when they're behind. And they have not shown that ability as, nearly as much in the last four weeks. Yeah, and that's, I think, probably the biggest concern for me is how slowly that the Seahawks got out to a start, you know, three and out on their very first drive. Uh, and then they, you know, unable to convert on that second drive where they get down inside the red zone and ultimately Russell throws the interception. So getting out to those kind of slow starts when your defense, you need to be doing the opposite. You need to be doing much like what we saw from the bills and getting out quickly. That'll allow their defense to at least hang, you know, keep, keep the game within reach. If they're going to try and trade scores with teams. You know, the Seahawks scoring 34 today, it felt a little deceiving because effectively once it got to 41 to 20 was garbage time. And if you didn't think that the David Moore touchdown was garbage time, then the Metcalf touchdown was 100% garbage time. So this was one of the worst offensive performances they've had this season. And yeah, the running game is a concern because the best running back is injured and consistently injured. And then all of the backups are just not very effective running between the tackles. They don't have great vision. Uh, So it really hamstrings the offense and they're getting put into too many obvious passing situations. So when that happens, Wilson gets hit as often as he has been hit. And he's kept his sack percentage low this season, the lowest of his career. It probably went up a bit today, but he got knocked down 16 times. And the number of big hits that he took today, I mean, it's unlike anything I've seen out of pretty much any non-Rams game that he's played over the last several years. So, you know, there are legitimate concerns about this offense, even though they remain the number one scoring team in the league because they got shut down for the first half against the Vikings and a good chunk of the, the second half, too. They got shut down in the second half against the Cardinals. They were fine against the Niners, you know, outside of the first quarter. And then they were shut down for a lot of the first half against Buffalo. And they pressed so much that they ended up just turning the ball over. So I think teams are starting to wisen up at the fact that Seattle, they're not really a, a threat to run the ball very often. And I guess one of the, the things that John Morgan's talked about with the let Russ Cook movement is, if for it to succeed, and so far it's been pretty good with, with Wilson's overall statistics and the way the passing offense has gone, he's got to get hit less. And he's getting hit a ton these last few games, especially against high-blitzing defenses like Buffalo and Arizona. All right, John, before we get on out of here, is this something that you see can be fixed? It, it's disappointing that this happened against Buffalo because I do feel like this is one of the few 
playoff measuring stick teams that the Seahawks even have left on the schedule. So much like we've been talking about it, the, the concern over the Seahawks making the playoffs isn't really there. They, th- this team is very likely going to make the playoffs. It's, it's just that once they get there, can they get the wins? So can you put a team on the field that once everybody's healthy, we have not seen the Seahawks secondary at, at any point in this season, apart from Atlanta week one to where you had uh, Shaquille Griffin on the field, along with Jamal Adams and issues on the defensive line as well. I we we finally got Rasheem Green back this week. And I guess the question is, once Chris Carson is back and healthy, if you have a, another healthy Carlos Hyde as a depth piece, you get Shaquille Griffin back on the defense in the secondary. Can this team be that that playoff team that we saw maybe going into the season? I, I worry because I, I think the problem is, is that football fans are very inclined to say, once this guy's back, once this gets worked out, and that's just not the way football is played. Carson has missed time, and who knows when he's going to be back. Foot injuries can be very dicey, especially for a running back. Uh, if it was a minor foot injury, we probably would have seen him by now. And so it's worrisome. I, I think I saw uh, you know information somewhere that if – if it's as uh, he misses a week, then there's a reasonable possibility he's going to miss the season because that's just how it is with fit injuries. You don't get to do anything without your feet, obviously, as a running back. Dallas and Homer, I almost just have discounted them. They're uh, they're down scat back types that uh, should be have minimal importance within the offense. Uh, I think it really is very telling if you look back at how Homer was largely just used to improve punt position early in the season. Um, I don't know that Carlos Hyde is necessarily going to be any sort of revelation if he's pressed into full-time duties. Like I already said, I don't think Penny is likely coming back, or if he's coming back, I don't know at what capacity. And so, and you know, and Adams looked like he was hurt again, Jamal Adams. And so if we're talking about when the secondary is going to be playing together and how good they're going to be, well, I don't know when that happens. Um, injuries are a major part of the game, and Seattle's getting eaten up by injuries, but a lot of teams are. Uh, it presses the depth. And right now, Seattle's, I don't know if they're top-heavy. I think they have some decent depth, but they certainly don't have good depth at the secondary. And if the offense cannot sustain being such an incredibly potent, run-away-with-the-game kind of offense, and I'm starting to think they can't, because like I said, this is, there's the bad games are starting to stack up. And whatever we may look at the point total, if we look at the actual contributions of the offense and how they also put the defense in a bind a couple times, you know, not, not even including the two strip sacks, um, it's it's a tough situation. Ken Norton is a big variable because Ken Norton has never been the coach of a particularly good defense, and uh, he's got a great reputation among players, but he does not necessarily have a great reputation among fans. And I think that's potentially something they could work with to greatly improve the defense because the defense does look like it has more talent than uh, it's showing. But other than that, I don't really know. I don't I don't think the defense is just going to improve by magic. I don't think it's going to improve through health. Um, I think the pass rush has improved, but not enough to turn it into the kind of defense that you usually see with a contender. And I don't think we can anticipate teams simply running into the teeth of Seattle's run defense if they can easily pick apart the passing defense. Plus, it means that any sort of lead Seattle might be able to create is going to be very vulnerable because pass defense is stressed when you have a lead. And so... I just don't think you can come away from this game and say, yes, everything's going to work out once everyone comes together. I think it's going to require some sort of change, maybe something we don't see. It's going to require big improvements in play or big improvements in coaching and scheming. Uh, And otherwise, I I don't think that they are a 
meaningful contender. Of course, there's anything is possible, um, but there are teams that are simply playing much better than the much more complete teams. Uh, among contenders, Seattle has easily the worst defense. Of course, they probably have the worst defense in the NFL, or at least up there. Um, and those teams do not go far because the, your offense is going to have rough days. Your offense is going to have bad matchups. Your offense is going to get bad breaks. And you need that other half of the team that can really contribute enough to either keep you in there through suppressing scoring or create opportunities through turnovers. And I don't think this defense has shown that capability. So it's really just kind of wish casting, optimistic fan hope kind of thing that the defense will turn it around. I have all those things, John. I, I will <laughs> I will keep up the optimistic fan hope. And I, I think the thing was, though, with this defense, up until this point in the season, you could look at it and say, OK, they're giving up a lot of yards, worst in the NFL by far. But they weren't giving up the points and and they gave up the points today. So John Morgan, a contributor to field goals, joining the show. Mookie Alexander, let's get your closing thoughts and maybe you can let us know what to expect this week up at field goals. Well, obviously, no enemy reaction this week. Um, well, my, my closing thoughts, as far as the Seahawks, I wrote a post a couple of weeks ago about how bad the third down offense and defense have been this season. Well, the third down defense was bad again, but the third down offense was also bad again after a reprieve and a pleasantly good performance against the Niners. But they were three of 12 today, two short yardage run stuff. And I believe Wilson was three for nine with three turnovers, meaning both uh, strip sacks and the interception. So this is unlike any other season Wilson has ever had on third down. It is game-breaking bad at this point. So they got to get that fixed. Uh, but I guess it's on to the Rams. And oh yeah, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. You will be missed. Yes, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Uh, I think a lot of us grew up definitely watching Jeopardy over the years. And uh, that was some sad news to start the day. And sad news to finish the day too, uh, as the Seahawks take the second L of the season. We're going to be coming back with three in, three out with Clinton Bonner this week. He's going to need your help on some ins for this week. So any of those micro moments, you know, Jason Myers didn't miss any kicks. So maybe maybe something like that. So send those to at Clinton Bond on Twitter. Use the hashtag 3I3O and we will be back right here at Field Goals. Talk of more Hawks throughout the week. Until then, go Hawks. <laughs>